Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. I've been running for a few years now and have the privilege of meeting many incredible runners on my travels all across the country. This podcast is intended to share those amazing conversations. Today's guest is Adrian Longley-Yay. Adrian is a sports psychology consultant and counselor at Texas A&M who began running competitively in graduate school, and the passion grew from there. Soon after that came a career as a sports psychology consultant, and she enjoys being able to live what she loves on a daily basis. Adrian is passionate about all things running, reading, exploring, and helping others along in their respective journeys. Our chat covered much of that last part, exploring how to maximize performance by improving an athlete's mental strength. We talked a lot about the pain of a good race and how to lean into that pain to get the most out of your body. I had a lot of immediate wins and takeaways thanks to this one and hope you do too. Enjoy. I am here with Adrian, who is a sports psychologist, and we are going to dive into the mental side of, uh, of training. So thank you for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Of course. Um, so you are, you mentioned you are uh, sitting in your office in Texas. So where in, where in Texas are you? Right now, I'm in College Station, Texas, home of uh, Texas A&M, obviously, Giga Maggie's. Uh, went to college there, and this is my second location. My primary location is just uh, north of Houston, Texas, in the Woodlands. Very cool. Big running town up there. Big running town, and they've got a they've got something about a triathlon out there too, huh? Yeah, I'm getting um getting a handful of people ready for that actually. Very nice. So, um, how did you get into your field? Oh my gosh, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of a long story, but I will try and condense it as much as possible. <laughs> Um, we've got, we've got a podcast for long run, so we can go, it can be a five mile long run or it can be a 50 mile long run. So dive into it. We've got leverage here. (laughs) So it was something that even when I was younger, I thought was cool. Um, I've played sports pretty much since I was five years old. Um, I was that girl either kicking a soccer ball or had a ball in her hand, but my most favorite thing was to race the boys in the neighborhood. So I am a, a lifelong athlete. And I just couldn't leave sports. Like I was going to uh, Texas A&M to study psychology and, um, you know, I was going to just do just general counseling work and all that kind of stuff. But um, I also worked as a personal trainer and loved it. It was great. However, everything that was holding my clients back was in their heads. So I'm just like, okay, these people really, really like to talk to me. However, we're just kind of, we're missing something here. And uh, long story short, um, I take a, a clinical psychology class uh, taught by St. Arnold Leonis. I literally this morning lectured his class on this very thing. So kind of it was kind of a full circle. Should have mic'd you up. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
And uh, he's a sports psychologist. So I was, and he starts talking about it a little bit. And I'm just like, oh, huh. I'm like, okay, this is actually a thing. It's not like getting into the CIA or something like that. Because um, I thought it was like super hard to get into the field or whatever. So I, uh, I made, you know, I kind of forged a relationship with him and spent some time with him, getting some guidance on how to get started. And then I decided, okay, we're going to make this work. So, uh, you know, just kind of continued on, uh, attended graduate school and, um, obviously got the degrees I needed and, uh, ended up, I started my own practice at age 30. Um, so I've been independent pretty much, uh, off and on for the past, say six years or so. Cool. And hopefully that made sense. But. Yes. And, um, who are the who are generally the types of athletes that you're seeing? Are they are they okay. most endurance athletes? Uh, I, I have what I call the big four, and most of them are individual based sports: uh, running and track and field, swimming, gymnastics, and golf. Why do you why do you th- do you think that that's more of a product of um, referrals and who who's in your network, or do you think that the the individual or, or um, runner versus a baseball player do you think there's a, a difference in the mental the mental mm-hmm. game there uh i think it's a, i think it's about 75 25 um i i was just talking to a client earlier about just how mental uh you know the sport actually is which yeah baseball is a mental sport and everything as well which i see a fair amount of baseball players also but yes, uh, i guess especially being where you're at yeah, but I think just by default, um, they're just more accepting, I think, in the endurance world, uh, you know, the racing world and, and everything, because it's you reach a certain level and you, you tend to start to need somebody else to kind of help take you the rest of the way. Definitely. So I think we're going to start uh, the podcast talking about sort of the benefits of working with a sports psychologist and then... Um, sort of get into some more technical like if the if you're in this scenario you know let's what what how do you how do you maximize that so um as long as that's cool with you let's uh let's Let's get going here Um, so why why do you think it's helpful for the average person to work with someone like yourself um if you're you know we spend so much time training anyway and invest a lot of time, money, and energy into, you know, whether it's gear, nutrition, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just having just just a little bit in your toolbox tends to go a long way. Um, and a lot of times, you know, running coaches, track coaches, whatever, they're really good about the physical piece. Uh, however, when it comes to what to do when, um, it's really good to have somebody walk through certain strategies and stuff like that so that you're going to have, you know, you're going to get the most out of the experience. So usually working with somebody like myself, it kind of opens the door for, I think, more enjoyment of the sport uh, and more consistent performance too. Definitely. So one thing you mentioned is the the opening the door for more enjoyment. Yeah. Um, so I haven't done a whole lot of these podcasts so far, but the the consistent trend, and again, the the goal is exploring the yeah. why and and what. Well, you gotta what, love it, you know. Yeah, what what keeps Before people I'm interested? And, yeah, and so so I had this I had this conversation with with Ben Rosario and Ali Kiefer, and they both highlighted this in particular that um, they're so invested in, and Ben really hammered the point home um, with his athletes. He's like, look 
you know, we don't care about results at the end of the day. We care that our athletes are, I mean, they, they, they have to care about results, but their, their main goal is the, the um, love of the process and the mm-hmm. consistency and mm-hmm. enjoyment and fulfillment of the process. And he's like, if you have that, the, the, the results come. Um, what, what would you, what would you say for an athlete who is fully invested in the process and fully loving the process, but they're not seeing the results? I mean, it's, it's a tough, um, you know, pill yeah. to swallow if you're, if you're going at it for years and years and years, but yeah. not. Oh, that's a, that's a great question. You know what I would ask them first? Do you like to perform? Yeah. Cause I mean, I know a lot of athletes, they love the training, you know, because there's a lot you can get out of it. Right. Um, you know, that just the thrill of like, oh my God, I just knocked that workout out of the park. Right. The social aspect. There's the fact that you can down half a pizza without blinking an eye, which is always fun. <laughs> yep. Um, half a pizza? What do you mean half? Whole. A whole pizza, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. throw in, you know, throw in a couple beers, yeah. you know, maybe a cookie, we're good. But uh, there's that, and then there's the race, you know, kind of the race atmosphere, it's different. It's a little more intense. Okay. Depending on what level you're racing at, it's either a little to a lot more intense. Like Mm -hmm. I just got back recently from USA cross country and it was a very different event versus any of the city marathons or anything like that. It was a really cool experience, but it was just the just like running from the gun immediately. And, and oh, oh, yeah. And it was just like, it was such a cool experience. It's like, now I know exactly what my top level athletes go through. Yep. So, uh, but anyway, kind of back to the original, yeah. uh, the original question is getting them to wrap their minds around actually performing and being able to express their fitness. And then we have to figure out what their thinking style is. You know, are they more, you know, kind of a verbal person? Do they need to talk themselves through things? Uh, What kind of goals do we need to be setting? Because if you love the process, what you want to do is extend those process goals into the race, into the racing world too. Um, And get them to not just like Ben Rosario was talking about, not focus on the results as much, but figure out where within the race you want that process to unfold and how are we actually going to execute that? Got it. Yeah, I mean, um, that question came from a friend, and, and yeah. it, um, it hit home because you got to find that mindset. You have to find that key emotional state that's going to yeah. help. Yeah, and and it was a problem that I, I've had in the past, mm-hmm. and um, like my training has has gone really well mm-hmm. at some points over the last few years, but mm-hmm. my my longer distance racing has sucked. Yeah, and and sucked by like standards of like. Boston 2017, I ran an hour over goal time. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. And, and, uh, I ran the Philly marathon, maybe 15 minutes over goal time or 12 ish minutes mm-hmm. over goal time. Mm-hmm. But I had, I had really, really, really solid training. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, I sort of came down from the high of the training and like, wow, yeah. that went really well. Yeah. And, and then had a really disappointing race. So what, yeah. I feel like that's a super common um, result that, that oh, athletes have. So, so where where do you go? What what are the questions you ask an athlete like that? Yeah. Oh, and that's like one of the number one things that'll bring a runner into my office. To be honest, is it's just like you're crushing your training. Yeah. And your racing is crushing you, basically. Yeah. And you're just like, what? I don't understand what's going on. Yeah. So what? So the process I would do with you know 
runner A basically in question is um, there's moments during a race where you have to make certain decisions and you have to be able to read the situation um, in an adaptive way and not lose your cool, you know, essentially. So let's just say like um, for you, I'm going to try not to shrink your head too much. (laughs) Did you have a moment, let's say uh, in Boston or Philly, where you're just like, oh crap, this is not, this doesn't feel right. Or this does not look like my training. Do you have those? Yeah. Right. And it catches us off guard because I think sometimes maybe it's not even conscious. And I'm guilt. I've been guilty of this many a times myself where, um, we're just like, it's not supposed to feel this way. This right. is not how it's supposed to go. Right. Then it's like our brain literally capsizes um, in our head. And we go from being positive and optimistic to when we're challenged, we don't know how to meet the challenge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I want to know what is the athlete telling themselves when this is happening? What is the kind of anxiety or frustration level that usually results? And have they ever had instances where they've been able to work through that? If yes, I want to know, I want to know kind of what that looked and sounded like. If no, then we work to help them navigate that. And a lot of kind of a common thing I do is like have athletes kind of come up with a script for if, if X happens, I will do Y um, because I found that's, you know, of course we want to visualize ourselves doing well. We want to do positive self-talk, of course, but I think athletes and consultants who don't go into this and athletes are really doing themselves a disservice if they don't consider the challenges. Cause if we really, you know, if we were to zoom out, uh, that's kind of what makes a great race. Great is not because you just went out and you were just flawless from the gun, but that you overcame something. Mm-hmm. So that leads me to sort of uh, another question I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Um, so at, at the trail camp I was just at, um, we had a session on uh, sports psychology mm-hmm. led by, um, by a woman who works for Northern Arizona um, and consults with, with mostly their uh, endurance athletes and mm-hmm. or all, of their, all of their athletes, but uh, mostly endurance athletes. And one of the things that she had us do was think about our best races and, mm-hmm. and the characteristics of our best races. And I guess my question is, so, so my answer to that was um, my 5k PR comes from a day where, um, where I was surrounded by friends. I had two friends, uh, two really good friends that I respect as athletes mm-hmm. tremendously uh, come up to me on the start line and say, follow us, you're going to PR. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're way faster than I am. And they, they, they gave their race to me basically. Yeah. Uh, I didn't look at my watch once and, yeah. and I PR'd by like 25 seconds in the five. Wow. And that was in 2014. And I haven't run, I haven't run that, that close to that time in a race since. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, I'm sort of like struggling and I haven't had a race that was that good. Since. Yeah. Um, how do you take something like that and and pull um, some of the 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 characteristics of a race like that and apply it? You know, for the right. Future? Well, obviously, you are you're in a positive mental state, mm-hmm. um, and you you obviously are one of those athletes that benefits from some social facilitation. Basically, having somebody there, having some support. Right. So there were you know 
the external factors kind of set you up. So in order, we're not always going to have that, which, yeah, we need, you know, it's, it's awesome to have that kind of a situation, right? but, but it's not realistic every time. Yeah. Working on some inner tools and being able to, it's going to sound kind of cheesy and weird, but learn how to turn into your own, your own internal pacer, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, And, you know, honestly, what, you know, if I was in your situation, I would be uh, taking notes of like, maybe if they said anything to you during the race or whatever, take that, build that in, internalize those statements and use those uh, in a racing situation. That makes sense. The positive self-talk is, is an interesting one. My coach, David Roche is, you know, notorious for, mm-hmm. um, and the swap I'm halfway approach. through the happy runner right now. Yeah. And, and it's, it's wild how, um, this sort of unrelentless, unrelenting, always present, mm-hmm. um, voice of reason, not only voice of reason, but like, you're awesome. Everything you do is awesome. Yeah. Oh, and tweak this in this little yes. way. Um, oh no, you shouldn't race that because it's more realistic to do that. But you know, 98% of, of that relationship is, um, positive self-talk mm-hmm. and, or, or positive talk about mm-hmm. the athlete. Right. So how do you, how do you sort of pull that and, and bring that into, um, not the coach athlete relationship, but the yeah. athlete relationship. Mm-hmm. Like the athlete's relationship with themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, it kind of depends on your personality, I think, number one. But uh, what you want to do is, you know, you got to be kind of forgiving on, with yourself if for some reason something doesn't go as planned. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll use some examples. A lot of times with my athletes, I'll use a lot of personal examples because I've been re- racing for 10, for 12 years now. Jeez, getting old. But uh, <laughs> Leveling up in the, in the categories. Yeah. So uh, a lot of times, like if I hit a rough spot is I'll be like, you're fine. Just like you don't have to, this is temporary. Um, and I'll just be like, you're still really good. And I'll remind my, I'll just kind of remind myself that I'm a rock star, quite honestly. So I know during USA's, we had to have a lot of those conversations because um, we went out really fast. Yeah. And I work full time, so <laughs> I don't have the 120 mile weeks in my legs like some of those other girls do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, but it's like, it's, it's giving yourself, you know, enough during those dark moments. Um, and for a lot of people, it's kind of balancing, pushing yourself versus getting out of your own way in order to do it. And cause like what I usually just tell myself is just like, if I want, if somebody was sitting there next to me and they knew exactly what I was thinking and feeling, what would I want to hear? I, that's what I, I like. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the the highs and lows and things like that. Um, why is it so mentally challenging to shift your mindset when you're when you're injured? And let's talk about the the oh, yeah. process, yeah, yeah, yeah. getting back into it and all that stuff. So where where do you start with an athlete? Uh, let's first go with who who just got injured. Yeah. Oh, so like they're they're out. Um, today today is day one they they pulled their hamstring or they have a stress fracture let's go with stress fracture since it's so common oh they're awful (laughs) i've had my fair share of those suckers um so first thing is you are allowed 
to grieve what happened. Mm -hmm. Um, it is okay to feel bad. However you feel for a little, you almost kind of want to go through a little bit of a grieving period. And I know that sounds a little extreme, but I know, uh, back in, you know, several years back, I was training for Boston. I broke my foot prepping for Boston and I'm, I mean, it, it felt like, yeah, it was the world. Yeah. It really, it really did. And I had to let myself feel that. Otherwise, if I were to deny it, it would just the the healing process physically and mentally probably would have taken that much longer. So, you know, give yourself, you know, a few days or something like that. Find somebody, if it's not a sports psychologist, find somebody you can vent to who gets it and doesn't try to like fix the way you're feeling. It's always really annoying. Uh, If you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Uh, no, it's fine. You're going to come back. You're going to do great. When Shut you up, I just want to for a while. Fracture, nobody wants to hear that. Yes, right. when you're, this sucks. I wish there was something I can do. Um, here, let me get you a sandwich. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll awkward job with you. Uh, but after that, it's actually good, I think, to learn about the injury, the healing process. Um, what to expect. I think we, we want to not be in the dark with, if you do have a diagnosis, you want to kind of know what you're in for and what it's like and all that kind of stuff. If you know somebody who's been through it, ask them specific questions. Um, cause I think I'm the, in my community, I'm the stress fracture resource cause I've had eight. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I've had a lot of them. Uh, so, but after that, we're athletes. We like training. We like to stick to a plan. Uh, we want to, I think you want to treat recovery like training is you have a plan. You're, you know, this is Tuesdays and Thursdays. You do your, you do these PT exercises, you do your icing, you do, you know, your heat, whatever it is. And you just kind of follow that structure and even cross training. You probably want to do that the same time you do your regular training and stuff like that. And it's really hard you know, I think for a lot of people to hang around runners when they're injured. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget. I was having a conversation with a girl uh, a while back and she's like, Adrian, is it normal to want to punch somebody when you see them running and you can't? And I'm just like, why? Yes. Yes, it is. Don't do that. Don't That's do probably assault. <laughs> but um, <laughs> That's funny. yeah, I was just like, because we, we do, we have those feelings. So I think it's, you don't want to complain ostracize yourself I think for a lot of people but kind of know what you can and cannot handle got it because I know early on when I dealt with mine um you know for a few weeks I did just kind of go radio silence with the with the most of the running community and stuff like that that's what I needed but then I reached a point I'm like okay we're gonna get back out there because these are your people and this is your sport and we need to you know we need to stay in touch with this um so yes, you kind of ease back in that way too. Um, like what during the yeah you know, during when you're actually injured, and then afterward, it becomes a whole other process. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, you know you go from twenty mile long runs to twenty minute long runs, and and yeah. how do you manage the? Um, Amelia Boone was very vocal with this and coming back mm-hmm. from. Um, some of the some of the things she's experienced, and mm-hmm. and she found it difficult to. Um, honor, I don't want to say honor her body, but yeah. um, honor the recovery necessary yeah. for a 20 minute run and yeah. doing all the, you know, what, let's talk about that. 
Yeah. I mean, it, for a lot of us, and especially Amelia Boone's on a, at a high level, you know, I can't speak for her, but I know as an ego, it was, you know, it was a huge shot to my ego when I was younger mm-hmm. uh, coming off of injuries. So this is a hard thing to, for a lot of us to wrap our heads around, but here's where you start. You start the day you get out of that boot or whatever you're in and you're cleared. And that is where you start setting your goals. We don't want to think, you know, as much as we can, we can't go back. We can't go back in time. I know there's a lot of that car saying or whatever, you can't go back in time, but you can wind the clock back up again. Hmm. We got to wind, we got to wind the hell out of this clock back and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I always recommend is just have a, have a process goal for each stage. Um, one stage is just getting reacquainted with running and your goal. Um, and we don't even have a deadline, you know, initially it's just, here is what we're going for is not feeling like a baby fawn while you run. Then it goes to, okay, um, now we don't want to feel like, you know, we're not a baby fawn anymore, but we don't want to feel like we smoke 20 pet, 20 cigarettes a day or whatever. Or just came, or just came to 12,000 feet altitude. (laughs) Exactly. And what we want to, and what I, I work pretty hard with is, We set these short-term goals, and uh, during it, we have check-in points. Like, you you do, you know, you you work your recovery plan, and if something happens, you know, you need to kind of go through the same process. Maybe if we encounter a setback, we we make a contingency plan for that. Like, what if you need to cross-train? Right. What, What is the threshold when you know you're doing too much? That's a really important discussion to have. But I have athletes think in terms of weeks, not days. Um, because I know it's really deceptive if we look from just yesterday to today, well, I don't feel any better. You know, my leg still feels weird. I'm still running 10 minute pace or something like that. So, you know, I know when I recovered, it was like Saturday to Saturday because that was my long run day typically is I was like, how am I doing this Saturday? And then I would look at, okay, I'm more comfortable on a three mile run or, okay, my pace is back under nine minutes or something. And we want to look at where we've come from the starting point once we get cleared versus anything else. So massive goals, you know, we don't want to, we, you know, it's kind of hard. I know with pros and stuff like that, it's a different ball game when they have to get out there and race Uh, for people who, you know, don't have a real tight time schedule is I was just like, okay, I wouldn't schedule any races out for, know another few months so you can really get comfortable and get confident because sometimes if we race if we get back in the game too early we a risk re-injury b risk uh just getting into a mental hole we don't necessarily need to get into because a lot of runners we really heavily identify with our sport so makes sense Mm -hmm. do you think um do you think the highs and lows are are you know uh, critical do you think that that the the lows make the highs better? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, because I think, you know, just like with anything else, if it's worth it to us, we're going to fight for it. And it's not always going to be easy. Because, like, just think of PR. A PR hurts like hell, doesn't it? Right. But you are really, really proud of that PR because of what you went through to get it. Right. Um, so, but it, it's it's being able to wrap your head around the fact that, okay, this is temporary and be able to cope with it when you are in a low 
Um, and just kind of having that mindfulness. I keep using the term zooming out. I sound like David Roche, but uh, that's really important. Yeah. Cool. Um, less so about injury, more so about plateauing. Where, where do you, where do you try and steer an athlete who um, has hit that plateau? Okay. Uh, depends on uh, their past few training cycles. I want to get a look at, I want them to talk about what they've been doing. Um, have they taken any downtime? Um, have they made any changes and stuff yeah. like that? Cause a lot of times, especially with a, adult athletes, they kind of skip the off season. Yeah. Um, I remember we did that article with Amanda Loudon a while back about yeah. the off season. Some people like, they kind of do like a quasi off season. Yep. Okay. For some people, not so much for others. Uh, I think like if we, if we don't do that, that's something I'm going to be like, okay, have you ever thought about just taking a, you know, just like a hard pause just for a little bit, you don't have Mm -hmm. to stop running, but just kind of disconnecting and just finding your joy again, instead of just running the grind and running the rat, the rat wheel. Another thing is goals is, uh, how are they setting their goals? Um, is it just this rigid fixed thing? Um, and is that how they're defining success? And is that what's making them feel like they're plateauing? Uh, setting some short-term, you know, realistic process-oriented goals is another thing to kind of work through a plateau. Cool. Uh, so you touched on rest and recovery. Um, yes. My favorite topic. Um, why I noticed do- that, actually, on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> why do you think it's so hard for, for athletes to, to do it? Oh, gosh. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Well, I mean, a lot of people are just really dang competitive. Yep. And uh, that's why you have to brag about your rest, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you're the only person I know of that does that, to be honest, (laughs) which I think is great because I'm like, dang, I want to try that recipe. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's wild. And and we so we started the rest day brags, you know, as a joke uh, about a shower beer. And Um, it was, uh, it was a tweet between David and Amelia. Like, why can't we, why are we always just bragging about the punishing 20 mile long runs? Why can't we brag about, you know, having a beer in the shower or like, you know, uh, couch to refrigerator repeats. Right. Um, and, and the responses we're getting are wild. You know, like I said, we started as a joke. Yeah. Thousand people have used that hashtag. That's hilarious. And, I'm going to start using it now too. Yeah. And, and people are messaging us like, I thought I was alone. I thought I was yeah. the only person that dealt with this problem. Yeah. Um, so why do you think, why do you think that, that so many people just think that they're the only ones like, woe is me. I'm the only person that deals yeah. with this. And, and it's, it's a massive problem that they have to uh, ignore and push under the rug as a result. Yeah. Some of it I think is cultural yeah. uh, because maybe these poor people have just seen one too many Nike and Gatorade commercials in their day. <laughs> so where it's just like these people, they're just going all out all the time. Yeah. So I think like sometimes there's this image of that, that this is what it takes to be successful. Yeah. And to be quite honest, a lot of that's product marketing, uh, which I mean, that's too simple of an answer. Um, that makes sense. Of- I mean, we're in this society where, where, you know, we reward or, or, um, uh, not reward, but, um, glorify being busy. Oh. Yeah. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah. And we glorify, you know, I haven't slept, you know, more than six hours in years and, yeah. um, 
And so we're just trying to reverse that and, and right. brag about like, oh, I got eight hours of sleep last night. Right. Fucking awesome. And right. I can swear because yeah. this is my podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, um, it's crazy, you know, where, where things have gone. Yeah. In the, in yeah, the- some of it is just misinformation. And a lot of times I see it as a lack of trust. It's kind of, it kind of stems from like a lack of confidence is, you know, because athletes have, have told me in the past where I don't think I'm fast enough or I have to do this. I have to work this idea. I have to work harder than everybody else, which I mean, yeah, we all have different genetics, but we're all human and humans do need to like stop what they're doing every once in a while. So it's, it's learning how to just, I just convinced some of my athletes and I've, I've had some friends who there's like, I hate rest days. I hate them. I hate them. So what what do you tell an athlete like that? I'm like, just try it. And I, I have texted pictures once, uh, okay, several times of uh, me napping on the couch or um, what else have I done? Just like a pile, you know, like my clothes just sitting there, not doing anything. Uh, like I've posted a picture once of like my rest day with zero miles. Um, I also am notorious for posting uh, 0.99 GPS pictures. My friends really hate that. <laughs> That's great. But because but with the, I'm actually, I mean, yeah, it's tongue in cheek and it's Adrian being Adrian, but I'm trying to get a point across that. Literally. Look, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I was like, it is. Yeah. It's one more step and yeah, I could take it, but that is not going to make or break a race. Right. Totally. Um, and I think it's, it's confident. I think, and this is just my bias, it's confidence and it's trust. You it's trusting the process. You, yeah, you trust the process and you have confidence in yourself. Um, and you know that, okay, this actually is good, good for me. And I'm not going to lose all this fitness or anything like that. If I rest, there's that. And then, the, you know, I know it's sometimes, you know, the, the one an issue I run into is like body image. Like I've seen runners, they're afraid they're going to gain weight if they don't, if they don't run every day or whatever. So, which I can go down a whole rabbit hole. Yeah. Let's go down that rabbit hole. Oh, you want to? Okay. You want to? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So was that something somebody asked about? It's always, it's always on the radar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I I know Kate Grace just posted that thing on racing and stuff. But it's just like what I'm tracking is it's just this huge ideal of just not feeling good enough. Like you're never, it's like there's this attitude. You're never going to be fit enough. You can always improve more. You, you know, you could always look better or you want to look like so-and-so and and I can't give an inch. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to lose my progress. Again, it it ties back to fear, lack of self-awareness, lack of self-acceptance, Um, I think that's where a lot of it is like, I only accept myself when I'm doing these things, eating these things, uh, looking this way. And it's hard sometimes for people to let go of that. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I mean, talking about the nutrition and and body image Mm -hmm. side of it and rest and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I used to be super restrictive with my diet. Um, Not, I wouldn't say over the line, but there was a line there was a line. I was close to it. Um, my well, mom we have this idea. This is what we're supposed to do if we want to be good. Right. And so my mom and sister have celiac. I don't. And I cut out gluten. And I fell into the trap of, you know, oh, you should cut out gluten because it's better for you. 
Um, and, and so it was sort of like a vicious cycle of, I cut it out for so many years for, for simplicity's sake, because Mm -hmm. I was living at home. Um, and there, there was no gluten in the house. It was super easy to eat all the rice pasta and all that stuff. And then, and then when you add it back in, um, it doesn't feel good. And so, so I was super restrictive around that. I was, I was, I wouldn't eat cookies or sugar Mm -hmm. or sweets Mm -hmm. or whatever. Um, and for whatever reason, over the last year and a half, I've just, I've, I've gone away from like the 98% being 98% great and, yes. and dropped to 80, 80% good. Right. And I feel well, way better. Then is basically unsustainable. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's amazing. And, and, uh, I mean, anecdotally, I've, I've actually lost weight. I've lost a pound or two, um, eating what I want eating more than I was eating prior. I had a conversation with one of our sports dietitians. She was like, yeah. you're actually under eating. Yeah. And, and that was a huge problem. Yeah. Uh, so my recovery got better. Yeah. I, I eat, I eat the full pizza yeah. and, and <laughs> enjoy it too. But it was relatively easy for me to do that. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you take an athlete who, um, who, who doesn't find that, to be easy. How do you, how do you get an athlete to, um, to get to that end zone, but right. the, the steps to get there are, are much harder. Yeah. Well, it comes to changing their relationship with food. Mm-hmm. Um, and because our society has been really good at demonizing certain foods, right. Uh, because I mean, we live in the world of, uh, keto and, you know, all those other, all those other kind of things, which I know there's a place for these certain diets, right. But, you know, because somebody says it's a good thing, does it make it good for everybody else? Right. Uh, so what I, I want them to do is, first of all, they just need to be educated. And depending on who I'm talking to, I just kind of slide things in. If they're really open and receptive, then I'll take it a little bit further with them. But I have to meet the, you know, meet the athlete I'm working with where they're at. Mm-hmm. And, uh then we just start doing little experiments is I was like, okay, um, let's, you know, eat a cookie before practice or something like that. Report back to me. If something bad happens, you can scream at me and tell me I'm a bad person. <laughs> uh, if you run well, then we, we need to kind of look at, we need to look at this a little bit. Like I have a personal tradition before every race I run 5k through, you know, half marathon, marathon the day before I eat a chocolate chip cookie. It's tradition. And it's just like the night before, it's like, I got to have my cookie. Yeah. Because I remember like, I gave a cookie away a long time ago when I was in my 20s because like, no, I don't, I can't have junk because, you know, I fell victim to that too. Yeah. I have all this knowledge, but I still screwed things up when I'm doing it. But it's just, <laughs> it's just like, works? you know? Yeah. And I just remember like watching the girl I gave the cookie to freaking pass me in this race. Right. And okay, legit, this was my, this was what my thought process was. It's like that bitch ate my cookie. (laughs) So ever since then, um, I was just like, no, we we, we, we just, and sometimes we need to take some experience for these athletes. It's because like I'm pulling the horse to water. They're not drinking it. Right. And have to get splashed in their face sometimes (laughs) to realize it. Then we talk about it and then we're like, okay, how can we incorporate this? But a lot of times it's just like, okay just start doing some experiments. So hopefully I uh, answered your question. Yeah, no, I think that was too far out. I don't left field. I think that was good. Now, now I want a cookie. Uh, my girlfriend made me some delicious uh, s'mores cookies that I'm going to, 
Gonna, yeah, I kind of want one too now. So yeah, I, I'll mail you one. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good. Um, let's talk about the 5K. The 5K is really interesting. Oh, it is. Yeah. I So I raced one two weeks ago. and. Uh-huh. It was the best performance I've ever had. I didn't PR, but I was I was close, and mm-hmm. and the I didn't look at my watch once. And mm-hmm. the interesting thing was, oh, I I massively negative split it, so there was a little bit more capacity maybe towards the beginning. But um, what I loved most about the race was how open I was to the the pain and yeah. how open I was to the yeah. this fucking hurts. Yeah, make it hurt more. Yeah, um, you hit the nail right on the head right there. Is it's changed like just like with your my relationship with food, your relationship with pain. Yep. If you look at it as it's just a necessary thing, then it becomes a challenge. If yep. we freak out, it becomes a threat. And I can't feel like this. I can't handle it. I mean, our primitive brains just like all it up. Way, yeah. But if we're smart, we can use our uh, cerebral cortex and actually process uh, appropriately is you actually kind of in, in a weird way you have you want to expect it and yep. embrace it and almost like what like what you went through want it more yeah so that's so that's that's the trick it's, it's you don't resist it you lean into it yeah and and the lean into it was a phrase that really uh resonated with ben he's like mm-hmm. that's what we that's what we train for we train yeah. we train for that moment and yeah. and yeah. we have the it's a you know I forget who said, but pressure is a privilege and, and you don't necessarily get that all the time in training and you don't necessarily get the opportunity to, you know, really see what you're made of when, um, when things start to hurt. And sometimes it's, it's cool because you can see people in front of you and just start picking them off. And other times you're just a, you know, a sitting duck waiting to be picked off and and there's nobody else around you or something in between. Um, so that's the ticket. It's just, accepting that it's going to hurt and and looking forward it's acceptance to and you also need to believe that you can sustain what you're doing so how do you tra- how do you train for that how do you how do you because that's it's it's not um i don't think everyone can do it straight from the right. right 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 so how do you how do you get there uh some of it does come from workouts and taking some risks and, um, like, you know, you get a really hard workout on your schedule and you're just like, Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. That's when you need to be like, okay, I need to practice dealing with this. And yeah. it doesn't matter if I succeed or fail in this is we're practicing going into the hurt locker. So um, you get, you get a couple of things on the calendar that really make you, uh, well, here's the deal. It's just like, you need to do things that make you uncomfortable to grow. Right. Um, and you know, if, if you have the opportunity to do it in training, do that. I know it's never going to be exactly like a race, mm-hmm. but I know, you know, just from my own experience and experience of, at, of athletes I've worked with, um, one of the big things is knowing what to say, like taking past races and, you know, when you finish, you got something else in the tank, you got to take a note of that, right? Uh, be like, okay, I actually do have more. So I always call it the critical moment in the race when that hits. Uh, Maybe it's just one word or two, but, you know, say something to yourself. Like uh, I recall 5K, I didn't look at my watch and I ran significantly faster than I anticipated. And yeah, it hurt, but I was like enjoying it. Yeah. And, you know, kind of embracing it. But I just remember just telling myself what to do the whole time. 
is I just said, keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on, keep the pressure on. Cause I was leading the race. Yeah. Um, and it, 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 it was a, it was weird. It's, you get in that, that spot to where you're almost enjoying it. I don't know if you talk what I'm talking about, but yeah, it yeah. into being open to whatever happens. Yeah. So, Cause I had done a 5k before that and it wasn't as bad as I thought at mile 1.5 because our mind's going to tell us it's horrible. It necessarily isn't always that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I, I recommend, uh, I think Brian Barraza calls it the Jedi mind trick. You want to think to yourself, you're going to have a moment, uh, in the race where you're going to be like, Oh, okay. I don't know if I can sustain this, but think you want to almost project yourself and think about like, okay, we're already, it's the end of the race. You're on the course, but you imagine telling yourself it wasn't that bad because that, that, that that's the truth, isn't it? That I happens. love that. I mean, it's like, you're going to survive probably. Yeah. Okay. I mean, honestly, the kid's a genius. I, li- I listened to pick that up on Steve Magnus's podcast a while back. And I was just like, that's a great way to put it is yeah, you want to be present, but for a split second, you want to think, okay, I want to, when this is done, I'm going to look back at this and it really is not going to be as bad as I thought it was. Yeah. So one thing that I try and visualize is me running through the finishing shoot, the finisher's shoot, mm-hmm. just like completely spent. And I, yeah. I just love that. Yeah. I love that feeling. So, so where do you, where do you, Ooh, that's good because you're programming your mind to send the message that this is okay. This is what we want. Yeah. Cause if we're, if we don't have the arms outstretched, breaking the tape, <laughs> flawless, um, oh, I'll send you a photo from my, then we get discouraged. But if that's, if that's like what we're going for, we're, we're, our mind's going to go or our body's going to follow where our mind goes and it's going to be spent in the finish shoot and you're going to like it. So how, where, where do you drop that in? I mean, you can't do that in mile one, right? Oh, that, um, it kind of depends. Uh, you do, you do want to, here's how, here's my template for running a five, a five K you guys ready for this? Because this it. may be the best part of this whole podcast. I love it. Babylon. Okay. First mile run with relaxation because you're going to need that. You're going to need that energy. You're going to need that towards the end of the race. Second mile you're going to run it with focus, pick something, someone try and stay on pace. It's a very purposeful mile, Uh mile three to, to 3.1. It's all heart. I love it. I'm writing it down right now. I'm going to go run a 5k. <laughs> Just kidding. And on, I mean, it's, it's ridiculously simple, but it kind of explains in a nutshell, the process of it. You need to chill just enough in the first mile, so because it's no, we, we notoriously overrun the first mile because we over we kind of overestimate uh, how hard we can go and underestimate how bad we're going to hurt. <laughs> yeah, but so, if we know it's going to take heart to the finish, then it's going to be easier to kind of compartmentalize, and then you're not caught off guard. Definitely. So, how do you take that to a marathon or a fifty k? Oh, okay. Uh, just break it up into thirds or fourths. So, uh, you know, like a, like half marathons, I, I take them usually a 5k at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, okay, this is all I care about is give me, I'm like, I just want you to hold six thirties for this 5k. So, you know, I ran a half, half marathon in December and within that 5k, I broke it down even more. 
And I just kind of look at my watch. Okay, this is all you got to do for this mile. And uh, I, I really like to do, I'm not a math person, but I love like fractions when it comes to a race. Yeah. I love fractions. So I just like divide that sucker up as much as I can. Right. And it seems to serve the athletes I work with well too. I love it. So Ironman coming up. Yeah, we're definitely, we're, I, I call it boxing the race up. We get the race and we put the distances all in really nice little boxes. And within each box, there's tasks. So, and especially if you're doing a major endurance event, do you need to fuel? Do you need to drink? What are the things that you need to do in this box? It gives you something to focus on. Mm-hmm. And then you're not thinking, oh my God, I still have 20 something miles to go. It's what's important now. Right. Makes sense. So how much can a mentally sound athlete overcome uh, a physically average athlete? Ooh, um, that's an it. That, that's a good question. Actually, I'm like, uh, it's going to take me a moment. To kind the, of the question was the question was worded. Yeah, uh, how what matters between the ears is nearly as important as what your body can do. So uh, it's a lot of times we make our own, we put our own ceiling on ourselves because I've seen a lot of athletes that are really talented but don't necessarily believe that they are. Yep. Uh, so they only make it so far. But those who maybe they don't have quite the genetic gifts. However, they're, you know, they, they believe that they can do the training. They believe that they can improve. Um, that tends to take these, these people pretty far. And so that self-belief and, and yeah, self- yeah, exactly. Cause I mean, we, we think of, you know, we have, we always have those stories of the athlete who maybe wasn't as talented, but made it through the ranks and is now like a collegiate or a pro runner or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, it kind of comes down to self-awareness. What do I need? Uh, what kind of athlete am I? And then learning to operate in that space. Um, but knowing that, yes, I have the capacity to improve. Cool. Um, a question from uh, Megan Roche mm-hmm. was, um, how do we turn nerves into excitement and opportunity during pre-race moments? She's seen a lot of athletes mm-hmm. uh, struggle with this. Okay. It's, a, it's an appraisal thing. It's ex- ner- uh, nervousness and excitement physically feels about the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's our interpretation of the event. So you, you heard me, I probably referenced this earlier. You want to view the race as a challenge and not a threat. Because mm-hmm. if it's a challenge, we're going to be like, okay, I can't wait. Let me at this. Yep. If it's a threat, you're just like, no, please don't fire the gun. I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah. We're like prone to panic. So it's, it's, we want to reframe the situation and we want to look at a race as something we get to do yeah, as opposed to, to something that we have to do. Because I'm not going to lie, I was scared shitless at first yeah. at, U- at USA Cross. I mean, I had good reason to. I got lapped by Shelby Houlihan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, I'm, 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 not proud, I'm not too proud to admit that. But, uh, I mean, that's but, cool. That's and, cool. Yeah, uh, I had this really cool moment actually where they take us to the, we take the starting line, get into our boxes, and suddenly, like, I this this thing came over me. I'm just like, let's freaking go. <laughs> um, I was just like, I cannot believe I'm here. I'm like, this is crazy. I'm gonna yeah. go, I, I'm just gonna go for it. So, yeah. I looked at it as, oh my god, I have no idea what's gonna happen, and that's what makes this so awesome. Yeah, I thought, you kind of just have to embrace that. I, I had the same thing going into a 5K last fall, um, and I I remember vividly 
standing on the start line. I hadn't raced. Uh, so this was September of 2017. I hadn't raced since April uh, at the marathon. And I was standing on the start line. I was just like, let me go. Yeah. Just like unleash me. basically. Yeah. That usually when you're in that type of a mental state, you are more than likely going to run well. Yeah. Um, it's just, I came in. I came in second that day and, and nice. it was like, you come off the line and it's like, like you were saying, like all you have to do is the, the, uh, don't go out too hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, you, you gotta use your head. Uh, but at the same time, it's, you just want to frame it as best you can as a challenge and you're going to yeah. have doubts. Those are normal, but it's not engaging or I say dancing with doubt and chasing after them. Because, yeah, we can think of, yeah, these negative things could happen, but there's a lot of good things that can happen, too. So you pick your poison. You know, they're your thoughts. You have control over them. You choose. Yeah. It's such a, it's such a cool feeling when, when, that's, when that's the mindset you're in. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, like, so primitive. Like, I'm a fucking animal. I'm about yeah. to... I'm about to roar. <laughs> like, yeah. let's, let's go. Oh man. I want to race right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm so I'm ready to get back to training now after having this conversation. Yeah. I'm bummed. I'm bike commuting. I'll be racing all the cars on the way home tonight. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to know that I served a purpose to pump you up today, Jonathan. Yeah. I'm going to have the most amped up. <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Everything's going to be a challenge from now on. I mean, have you ever rode a bike in Boston? It is a challenge. <laughs> oh, I've walked around Boston and I haven't, I kind of have an idea. I've never biked it. Yeah. You sort of need this, like everyone, like me against the world mentality when you're bike commuting in Boston. Well, uh, you know what? That's the same as the freeway in Texas. Yeah. So we're a little brazen in our vehicles out here. Got it. So uh, sometimes red lights aren't actually red lights. It's just a suggestion. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so viewing the challenge as, as uh, viewing the race as a challenge and not a threat is, yeah. is how to turn the, the nerves yeah. into that. Well, it's just like, you just got to tell your lizard brain to shut up. You know, it's <laughs> primitive brain. It's just like, it wants something like it wants to be comfortable, but you sign up to a race for a yeah, race. You're here for a reason. Comfortable. So, so I had a really good chat with, with Steph Violet, um, ahead of Western States this past year. Um, I think it was the Thursday before the race mm -hmm. and what we concluded, she said she was nervous. I mean, she was running hundred miles, so mm -hmm. fair point. <laughs> Touche. I was nervous. I was nervous for her and I wasn't even <laughs> running the race. Um, we got to like nerves mean you care. So how, how, what would you tell an athlete that, that, isn't nervous. Is that a good thing? Depends on who it is. Yeah. Uh, if you're usually nervous and you're not nervous, um, when, when it's not paired with confidence. Yeah. Oh, it, it, when they're are saying they're not nervous and they're not confident. Yeah. Uh, then they've given up on themselves for that event. Obviously. What would I tell them is what's the best try again next week? Yeah, well, what, what's the best case scenario for this, and what would make this a good? What would make this a positive event for you? So, do you need to pop your watch off and run by feel? Uh, you know, what are some things that you need to? What are some things that may be helpful here? Got that, it. or if they're not feeling that, how many races have you run in the past six months? <laughs> We've raced a lot. Is uh, your name Mike Wardian? If it's not, maybe yeah, consider yeah. That. <laughs> 
because sometimes because I want I want to know the big picture as to yeah. why that's happening. And yeah, we do. We just have days where we're just not feeling it, and that's okay too. Yeah. Uh, we just kind of have to look at it for what it is. Yeah, that wasn't great. I wasn't feeling one way or another, and that's okay. It's it. when we, like hold on to that and think it means something that it doesn't is when we start going off the rails. Got it. Makes sense. Let's talk about balance. What are your thoughts on balance for an athlete? It looks different for any human. Uh, right. If you are able to, if what you're doing feels sustainable, it brings you joy, you know, a good portion of the time. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get stressed out or anything like that. But if you're operating within kind of where you feel like you're happy and you're getting what you need and your relation and you have meaningful relationships, you're probably on to something. And it's going to look different. I think as we kind of go throughout kind of our running lives and our, just our regular lives, because yeah. I've had to make adjustments over the past year because I reopened my, you know, I changed offices and all that kind of stuff and added another location. So I was running 60 miles a week and all that kind of stuff. Last spring, I was traveling a lot uh, for work. I just hit a wall. I had crossed the line. Like, I just remember failing a tempo in a hotel on a hotel treadmill. And I'm just like, okay, we're going to have to back up here. I was just like, okay, this is not typical. So periodically, you just have to check in with yourself and be like, okay, what am I doing that's working? Yeah. What am I doing that's not working? And if you, you, you think nothing, you need to look a little bit further and be really honest with yourself because I was in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, you know, of all places, actually a year ago, and I'm just jogging around in the snow, and I'm just like, okay, you know what? This is as fast and as far as we need to go. I was just like, when you get home, we're going to regroup. So it wasn't an easy conversation to have with my coach at the time, but I was just like, dude, I've just encountered a lot of life change. Um, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to rearrange some things. So, you know, mentally it was taking some of the the intervals off of workouts, and it was just kind of finding my sweet spot and finding my enjoyment with running, then building back up. Cool. So sometimes we, you know, I raced great. I, honestly, like I had my best two seasons after that break because uh, I, I was able to mentally recharge. I love it. Um, what are some of the takeaways you've had from happy runner as, as an expert in the field? I love the why. Um, and I love how that's like one of the biggest parts of at least the, the section that I'm on. I also love the way they wrote the thing because it's like, that's working with me. Like that kind of sound, I mean, that's kind of how I sound. Yeah. Uh, real informal, real lighthearted and all that kind of stuff. But what I like about also like about it is it's about sustainable running and it's it's about you can be successful and you can be happy. Yeah. And they don't have to be mutually exclusive and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. I love it. And so I started working with David a year and a half ago or no, um, like three quarters of a year ago anyway. Um, and that's been the, the biggest change it's Mm -hmm. been, like we're not taking massive risks yeah. And, and when we do, you know, what's happening and you know, yeah. like, this is a, like, yeah. he gave me a, a, a downhill 10 K workout and, mm-hmm. and he said, he said, impress yourself. And that was his, 
that was his. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah. And so I PR'd my 10K by three minutes. That's awesome. (laughs) And, and you know, like you don't get those. um, Like, do you think, think, do you think there's something to it there that like, it's a very consistent, very conservative approach, but focused on like long-term, but then you have those like little, guess what? You know, usually if we short-term gains are great, but that's the exception more than the rule. Right. So if you can wrap your head around this long-term growth and the only way to get there is to like what you're doing. (laughs) Right. And not overtrain. Be happy and stuff like that. Right. So I, I I love, I like that uh, viewpoint. I like that context. Cool. Um, what are your recommendations on how to pick a race? Ooh, uh, it just kind of depends on what kind of setting do you like to race in? Um, what do you want to get out of the race? Uh, if you want a fast time, obviously you want to pick accordingly there. Uh, physiologically know your strengths and weaknesses. Like I live in Houston, but I am really not a good heat runner or it's kind of stinks. Uh, but so I don't race much in the summer. So, I mean, that, that you, I kind of pick seasonally. Yep. It's, um, a lot of times, play to your strengths. Cool. Well, I could talk to you for hours on this. This has been fascinating. I have, as I don't want to take too much of your time, but I just have a couple more questions. Yeah. Um, yeah what ex- session coming in a couple minutes. So. Okay, cool. Um, what excites you about training? Oh, a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> I, what excites me is I like to watch myself grow. Yeah. I, I, you know, I really do. I like, I do a lot of my workouts by myself. I have some training partners and everything like that, but honestly, I like to go out and impress myself to be honest. Um, and I, I kind of like the science of it is what am I, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a project. It's like, it's a science project. It's an art project. It's just like this little thing that I, I get to make. Right. So I actually write my own training schedule currently. Oh, cool. I love it. And it's, it's, it, I, I love, you know, I'm, I'm a really purpose driven kind of structured oriented person. Yep. So I love being able to play around with different elements like aerobic strength or it's just fun to build new things. Yeah. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. I think that's what I like it. Uh, Cause I've kind of learned, you know, in kind of my, I, a, I guess I can say my second running life where I've been healthy and training consistently for the past few years. Mm-hmm. I really liked the whole kind of embracing the unknown and just trying new things. Yeah, I love it. Um, I think my last question is uh, what gets you out, what gets you out the door in the morning or evening if you're an evening runner? What gets me out the door in the morning? Yeah. That, that is no matter what happens in my day, I did something for me that I love doing. Cool. And I think it, it makes it, it makes me a better professional. Um, you know, I think that's I didn't include that in the what got me into this field, but being a runner pairs very well with being in sports psychology because you need that patience. You need some stamina because you're probably mm-hmm. seeing a lot of people right. in a day and doing a lot of different things. Um, it just it, it sets the tone. Cool. And I have a really impressive shoe rack. (laughs) I I get to, I get to look nice. Um, I just feel the most like myself. Nice. Well, awesome. Yeah. That's the best part. And watching their journey. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. Thank you so much for this. Where can people find you uh, on the internet? 
Okay. Uh, I'm on most social media channels, Instagram, Twitter, Instagram at uh, my name, Adrian period, Longely A. Just type Adrian. You'll be able to find me. Uh, my, I, have a, I have a practice Facebook page that I try to be pretty interactive on. Um, my uh, 15 minutes of fame, I contributed to Kara Goucher's latest book, Strong. So cool. I'm in there. Cool experience right there. That's awesome. Uh, I also have a practice website, longelyaspc.com. So I try to keep it pretty entertaining online. And awesome. Well, I'll uh, I'll link to this in the in the show notes that I'll I'll be learning how to create and uh, and Beautiful. people can people can follow you, follow along. All right. Well, I enjoyed this, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for uh, thanks for thanks for doing it. Of course. All right. Bye. Uh, That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next week on for the long run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you've enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too.